you know, as a desktop person who is curious about um, automating things, um, I, yeah, I wrote a lot of scripts. I sort of had them set to trigger at certain times of day and, and things like that. And I've, I've set up a few systems that, you know, from my point of view, they work beautifully. But <clears throat> as soon as uh, as soon as the JS person disappears or as soon as you turn your back and think about something else, things start falling apart. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is John Bryant and he is heavily involved in the open source geospatial world. He's also the founder of a company called Mammoth Geospatial and he has agreed to come along on the show today and talk a little bit about Postgres. So Postgres is an open source relational database that we should be perhaps thinking about including in our stack if we haven't already. So John's going to walk us through what it is, where it came from and hopefully encourage people to get out there and try it if they haven't already. So this is a slightly different concept from what, what I've been doing up until now with, with the Mapscaping podcast. So I am really interested to hear your feedback on this, if there's something you'd like to hear more about, if we should just be focusing on, on, on tools, like in this case, the, the, this database, and talking about those, if that's something that's helpful for you, or if you would, you'd like to, to stick with hearing about companies and a little bit more sort of thought leadership in, in the geospatial world. Either way, I, w- I would love to hear from you. Just before we get started with the interview today, I want to mention that we have a new sponsor. Open Cage Data has agreed to sponsor several episodes of the Mapscaping podcast, and I'm truly grateful for this. Ed, the, the founder of the company, he's actually been on the show a couple of times before. The first time he was talking about geocoding, and he used this example of the geocoding was the, the way of translating between humans and machines. And I found the whole subject actually really, really fascinating. So I'd encourage you to go and check that out. And the second time he was on, he was talking about his work with, with Geomob. And Geomob is a really informal geospatial meetup, which Ed puts a ton of work into. And by supporting the podcast, I guess it's just another thing he's doing for the geospatial community, and it's fantastic. So Ed's company, OpenCage Data, is a geocoder. They have a free trial version, so you can test it out, you can try before you buy, and Ed offers incredible support. So I would highly recommend you check them out if you have any geocoding needs. Okay, let's get into the interview. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to do this interview with me. And this is, in fact, interview number two. The first one, we had a few um, technical problems. So I, re- I really hope we can get through the whole interview this time. That, that would be amazing. I, I guess the reason I invited you on the show was because that you are, you're heavily involved in the open source geospatial world. You, you are the founder of a company called Mammoth Geospatial. So I guess what I'm getting at here is you have a real solid background in geospatial and a really good technical understanding from a practitioner's viewpoint of how things work and how things fit together. So I've invited you along the show today, and we're going to be talking about post-GIS Postgres, so relational databases and how they work in the geospatial world and, and why people might want to invest time into using and understanding them. But before we dive into all that, can you just walk us through your, your journey into geospatial? How did you get to where you are today? Uh, sure, yeah. Thanks, Daniel. So my background is I started my career as a desktop GIS analyst in, in small organizations and uh, did that for several years, uh, mostly in Canada, also a little bit in Australia and in South America, kind of moving around a lot. Yeah, and then at some point I discovered open source geospatial uh, and it opened it opened up a whole new world for me. So I kind of dived deep into that. And over the last eight or nine years or so, I've been um, getting really, really into 
uh, open source geospatial stuff, mostly as a user in the beginning, and then getting a bit more into a little bit of programming and then system uh, building and integration. Um, and in the last few years, I've uh, been um, heavily involved here in Australia, where I live now, in organizing um, Phos4G and state-of-the-map conferences. Uh, yeah, so here, here in Australia, like I say, and also in New Zealand and Fiji. So firstly, let me say a big thank you on behalf of, of the geospatial community. I understand that organizing that kind of community event is a big deal and must take a lot of time and effort. So really appreciate that. Thank you. No, no problem. I mean, I guess I guess I want to I want to also pay my, my gratitude to the, all the people that uh, make this possible. And I guess, suppose that community organizing is, is one way that I can do that. Well, again, like I say, we, we really appreciate it. Us that are on the other side of that think it's amazing. Thanks. Today, we're going to be talking about relational databases, and we're going to be talking specifically about Postgres, PostGIS. And perhaps we should start off by explaining what it is. Sure. So Postgres, PostgreSQL, is a uh, relational database management system. It's open source. It's considered to be best of breed and enterprise grade, uh, but it, it doesn't itself have much or any uh, spatial geospatial functionality built into it. So PostGIS, uh, what it does is it's a, it's an extension that you can run alongside, like it's built to plug into PostgreSQL, and um, it allows you to do spatial operations, uh, store your data, store geometries, build spatial indexes, and so on, so that you can actually use it as a as a qu quite a full, functional, beautiful piece of equipment uh, in your stack. So I guess before we really get into this, I think we should sort of talk a little bit about why people might want to um, use a relational database like this instead of flat files. Can we talk a little bit about some of the advantages there? I mean, from from my point of view, like I can, I think about my experience as a as a GIS person coming from that kind of background. Um, so for the first uh, large part of my career, most of the systems I was using and building were based on. Uh, folders full of shapefiles or map info tab files or what have you. Um, and I mean, to be clear and honest, there, there's really, there's no shame in, in taking that kind of an approach. Like it's a perfectly valid way of, of managing spatial data um, and it works and it's simple and it's nice. But um, I think that one thing you run into with a system like that is, is you do run up against limitations. Like the shapefile has its own limitations in terms of file size and Column names can only be ten characters, and so on. Uh, you know, security and permissions, archiving, backups, and so on. You you can do a lot more with a with a spatial database than you can with a folder full of shapefiles. And it's, at some point, you know, the, as the complexity of your system grows, you may find yourself in a situation where you want to dive into that. So I think that um, it, it's sort of like you could see it as a natural progression. I suppose. I mean, it certainly was in my experience to start building systems that relied on spatial databases and, and, and give you a lot more of that functionality out of the box. Absolutely. And I agree with everything that you said there. I'd just like to add that I think one of the huge advantages here is that multi-user functionality side of relational databases. As soon as you have lots of different users looking at the same data or wanting to edit the same data at the same time, then relational databases are definitely the way to go. Absolutely. I also really like the idea of centralizing data. So I've definitely had some experiences working in companies where you know, everybody has their own shape files, their own copy of data right. on, on the C drive, C drive somewhere. And, you know, so then very quickly, okay, well, who's got the most up-to-date data? And if it's in one place, one centralized place where lots of users can access the same data, edit it, update it, maintain it, then 
you know that that question of who's got the who's got the most up to date data you know it doesn't even need to be asked the data is there you can waste a lot of time chasing up that one sort of canonical version of the data <laughs> and i guess that's one of the things about a spatial database is that it, it enforces you can you can enforce and it enforces upon you some some discipline with how you structure your data and so um, in some ways that can be kind of a pain but on the other hand you know if if you want to have a a well-managed database. This this is you know it's a great way to do it. It's um, I remember being exposed to this idea of the the single point of truth at one point, and it kind of it was just like a light bulb. And I was like, oh yeah, you know you don't have to sort of have six different people managing data in their C drives, and you know hopefully you can find it when you need it. It's like you can actually have this um, central repository that that um, is trusted. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is one of the big reasons why people move from flat files to that centralized point of truth to, to relational databases. So th there's lots of amazing things about relational databases, but I'd like to pick on just a few here. And, and I th I'd like to start with views. What, what is the magic of a view? What, or what is a view and, and how might I, I use it? Yeah, so a view is in a special database, in a SQL relational database, a view is it's basically like you build an expression, you write... Um, a SQL statement that takes the data in one or many tables and produces, you know, an output, basically defines that output that you can use as if it were its own table. And so what that means is that if you um, have a data set, so uh, maybe I'll use the example of um, caribou collar locations. Suppose you're working in parks and wildlife in North America and you've got some automatic Color locations that are being updated from uh, from an API, and there you've got some magical way of pumping them into your database. You've got this data, this table that's always being updated. You know, if you have this one table, you could actually potentially generate a whole slew of uh, byproducts from that um, and define them as views, so that if you're in your desktop environment, you can add them all as if they were data sets. So, like for for example, if you've got these color locations, you can have another view that is like just the latest location points for those caribou. So where where were the caribou last time we saw them? Uh, or you could have uh, polygons that are like the ranges of these caribou, or you could have uh, a set of lines that are the the actual paths that these car each caribou has followed on its journey through uh, the tundra. And so on. And if you if you wanted, you could also like add attributes from another table that has some kind of spatial relationship with them. So you could say, well, uh, during this time, the this caribou was in the Yukon, and during this time, it was in Alaska. And you can define all this stuff using, like I said, SQL queries, and and not have to sort of manually update uh, those outputs every time you have a new set of inputs that you want to put in. It just happens on the fly. And I think one of the beautiful things about this is that it's documented in the database. I can go into the database and I can see exactly how this this filter or this join or this this view was formed, what it's, what it's based on, what the underlying tables are, how it's been put together. And so that's amazing to have it on that side. But in terms of a user using this, they it's just another layer in the database. It's just another layer they can drag into QGIS or ArcGIS or, or something similar, and they don't have to see the, the complexity in the background, and I think that's just that's just the. Main that's thing. right. Yeah. So I mean, if if you're if you're the GIS person in an organization, um, you don't have to be the only person that uses that GIS, but you can you can for you could potentially be the only person that has to understand all the relationships between the data. You can publish those views as 
services to all your users who may or may not even be using GIS. They could be using an intranet or or whatever. Absolutely. I'd like to stay with the caribou example now because it's it's a fantastic example. Yeah. And I'd like to talk about triggers. Can you describe for us what a trigger is and, and how we might use it? Sure, yeah. Um, well, a trigger is basically... A trigger is a bit of logic that has that, that happens when a database event takes place. So if you have uh, somebody goes and edits the data manually, or maybe you've got, like I mentioned before, this these caribou color locations being pumped automatically in your database, you can you can set it so that as a new row is entered into the database, a certain set of uh, a certain function is executed. So that function might just do something basic like add a create date. Column, uh, a value for a create date column, or it might, or it might uh, trigger some other action. Like may, maybe it'll update some other table. Maybe it'll, maybe there'll be like a, a another. Uh, maybe there'll be some kind of an output that will tell you how many how many points this one caribou, or how, how long, how far this one caribou has traveled, or something like that. But I'm, I'm not explaining it very well. But it's like um, uh, the 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 upshot is it's like when an event takes place, one of these database events takes takes place. Uh, it can execute your custom function. I could see this being used in terms of data validation. Like, is, is this a valid piece of data that's being entered into the database? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, great, great point. So, like, uh, using the caribou uh, example, you know, is this is this uh, point? You know, these are based on GPS locations, which can be a bit uh, fuzzy sometimes, a bit noisy. So, is your uh, caribou location in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, or is it actually, you know, somewhere you expect it to be? And if if it's in the wrong kind of place, it could discard it, reject it, or or what have you. Personally, I think triggers are, are really amazing. I love the idea that this functionality is baked into Postgres, PostGIS. It's in one centralized place. It's documented in there. So anyone can go and have a look at it and understand what's happening and, and why it's being executed each time this um, database event takes place. But another thing I really like about it is that it can replace this incredibly, well, can be quite complex network of scripts that you might build if you didn't understand how to use triggers. So in, in my experience, I've seen people do this that have been really excited about, let's say, Python as a programming language. And so that's the tool. They've needed to solve a problem. They've gone to the tool chest, got out the tool, and then started creating these Python, Python scripts all over the place that, that are operating in, in different places at different times on different data sets. And it's really difficult to maintain that kind of web, at least in my experience. And I see triggers as being a much more sort of elegant way of, of doing this. Yeah, in so many cases. So, I mean, I can, I can relate to that kind of idea 100% because, I mean, that, that was my journey. I, I, you know, as a desktop person who was curious about um, automating things, um, I, yeah, I wrote a lot of scripts. I sort of had them set to trigger at certain times a day and, and things like that. And I've, I've set up a few systems that, you know, from my point of view, they work beautifully. But <clears throat> as soon as uh, as soon as the GIS person disappears or as soon as you turn your back and think about something else, things start falling apart. And uh, these sort of uh, these systems that rely on a lot of scripts and so on, they can work beautifully, but they can also be somewhat fragile. And I think Spatial Database does for you is it allows you to build some of that logic into the data store itself, where it's um, very well managed. And I guess it's that it, again, it's that single point of truth concept. 
And again, I just want to emphasize, just like we did right at the start of this interview, we're not trying to shame people into using relational databases in any, any way, shape or form. In the same way we talked about that journey we've both been through with, with the use of flat files and, and the sort of evolution over to realizing that a spatial database might be the way forward and we might be able to solve other problems with it, I think it triggers the sort of next step for some people anyway in their sort of journey in terms of automation. And I think it's really important to go out and experience and sort of decide or, or have those experiences where, oh, okay, this worked really well, this didn't work so well. And scripting is a really important part of that. At least it has been in my journey. Yeah, and for me too. And 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 yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, there's there's no shame in um, building a system that uses a, a flat file system. I mean, it's it's in some ways it's um, uh, if you have a simple need, then you need a simple system. And you know, a spatial database is going to be overkill for a lot of use cases. So when we're talking about triggers just before, we were talking about that idea of, of documentation. How do you think they fit in in terms of creating sort of reproducible workflows? Or, or maybe a better question would be, where do you think a, a database is in terms of creating these uh, reproducible workflows? Is it something we should be thinking about or should we be sort of looking more towards the the model builder style of, of doing things? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I think a lot of GIS people can relate to this idea of a reproducible workflow, like especially if you've gone through that process of, you know, running a hundred different um, commands to get to your final, final, final dot shape file. <laughs> like that's, uh, and then, you know, and then the next day the, your, your customer, your coworker, whoever comes back to you and says, oh, we need to do it again, but can we actually change the inputs? It's like, oh, damn. So, you know, like the model builder is definitely one way to do it. The um, I've used a lot of FME in my time to do that kind of thing. But um, uh, in the last several years, I've been finding Spatial SQL to be uh, more and more delightful, I guess I could say, in, in, in terms of how to create those reproducible workflows. So, you know, you can write a SQL query with all those spatial processing steps. Say you want to do a reprojection, you want to buffer something, you want to join it to the count of the number of points that are within your polygon, that sort of thing. Um, you can put all these steps into quite an elegant SQL statement, um, and you can write comments within your code that will sort of give you some uh, pointers as to um, what it all means when you come back to it a week later or three months later or two years later. So SQL, SQL is a language in itself, and I think it's really it's one of those things where, where people, if they're going to learn a new language, they want to know, can I use it other places? Is this something I can only use in, in Postgres? Is this something I can only use in MSSQL, which is the, the Windows sort of SQL server? What would you say to those people? Is it worth investing time and energy in learning SQL? Can I use it other places? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think first thing that comes to mind is uh, like any, like investing in any open source language, say it's uh Python or or JavaScript or or what have you. Um, it, it, these SQL is used in all kinds of places. So you can use you can use it in PostgreSQL. You can use it in SQL Server. You can use it in Oracle Spatial. You can use it in you can use it with your SpatialLite file based databases. They're, they're, it's just kind of usable in all kinds of places. So you know I, I think it's a this is an investment. Learning SQL isn't an, isn't an investment in Postgres. It's an investment in learning a powerful way of querying databases in general yeah and i, I yeah i mean I, I just think it's it's uh it's, it's very versatile language 
So I, I personally, I feel like SQL as a language doesn't really get the attention it deserves. And I have the same feeling about relational databases. That For me, they're like the drummer in the band. They're always there. They're a really important part <laughs> of an enterprise geospatial stack. And why do you think that a language like Python, for example, or R or JavaScript seems to get more attention than, than SQL? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I suppose um, I suppose Python is is... You can use Python in a lot more places and a lot more use cases. I think SQL is is a fairly focused, uh, has fairly focused purpose. Like a, but but I suppose in some ways that's one of its strengths. It's it's very it's very it's very designed. It's very engineered to to fit that particular use case. Um, it does it well. And so I mean, where Python, I guess, is is basically Python's a whole universe. Um, you could go in there and never come back out. Uh, but SQL, I think, is is a really great way to get from to get your hands on your data quickly. I, I completely agree. And I think when we start to talk about enterprise solutions for, for geospatial, I think it's a really important part of, of the stack. And I don't think people need to go out there and say, I have to be a you know, a programmer in, in SQL. But I think that basic sort of understanding, like with any programming language in geospatial, it's, it's worth obtaining, it's worth investing in, it's worth understanding. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about Postgres now and the, the geospatial capabilities of it, why people might want to use it. Can you give us an idea of how do we get started? Because I think whenever you start talking about relational databases and all of a sudden there's an extension that we have to download from somewhere, is this, is this difficult? Like, is it difficult to get started? And if we're looking to get started with this, where should we go? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's, it's easy. I mean, it took me, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy around, but it took me a while to actually um, get past that first hurdle, which was getting the thing installed. But, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, that was a few years ago. And I think I think we've come a long way since then. It's getting a lot easier to install uh, whatever platform you have, whether it be Windows or Linux or Mac. Uh, there are installers around. There are a lot more blog posts and things around that sort of give you some detailed instructions. So I think, you know, the first step is really install it on your local machine, get it up and running, figure out how to load some data, and um, just start, you know, poking, poking around with it. And um, if, if you if you're running QGIS on your desktop, uh, connect connect QGIS to it, load some load some uh, data, load some tables into it, and um, and watch it go. Like it's it's actually quite a quite a beautiful experience. You know, for me, it was like I was blown away by how fast it was, and that was so encouraging that I think I I don't think I ever really looked back. <laughs> It's been a while since I have installed um, PostGIS and, and used it as a, as a database on my own personal machine. So I can't remember exactly what the process looked like, but I remember it being surprisingly easy. So I work in a Windows environment and I remember it being, you know, you get an executable file from somewhere on the net. I can't remember the exact website, but I'm sure if people Google it, they, they will find it, run it. And then after it ran, it installed the actual database. And then there was a whole list of extensions that, that I needed to install. Yeah. But this came up in a, in a user-friendly way and you click the button for PostGIS and, and that was installed and then it was done. And I think you, you said something really important there that you don't have to dive in straight away and start writing you know, SQL commands into the database itself, you can just use QGIS yeah. and install that. And I think there's some really good plugins out there that could help us Definitely. there. And you could, at the start anyway, you can just inter interact with the database through that QGIS environment. And, and that would be a great way to get going. Definitely. So there, there's one there's one core plugin in particular called uh, DB Manager. Um, and it is it, it will actually take care of a lot of this stuff for you. So you can actually go straight from installing your database 
to connecting to it with uh, DB Manager, and you can actually use DB Manager within the QGIS environment. You know, if that's a familiar environment to you, um, you can push a shapefile or whatever data set you have into the database, and then you can even write SQL start writing SQL queries right in that uh, DB Manager plugin if you like. Is there any other editors or ways of connecting to the PostGIS database that that we should be many, thinking about? Many, many, many. So, I mean, if you're if you're an ArcGIS desktop user, you can you can connect to a PostGIS database. I think there are a couple of hoops you need to jump through. I can't remember what they are. It's been a couple of years since I did that, but it's uh, certainly possible. FME connects to it very nicely. Um, there are a couple of applications that I use for administering uh, PostGIS databases. Uh, one in particular that I've been I'm quite fond of these days is DBeaver. Um, and it actually has like this really nice spatial previewer. So you can do you can do a very simple SQL query like select star from my table. Um, it'll show you all the records that it returns in a grid, but then you can toggle over to a spatial view and you can see exactly where your geometries end up on a map of the world or a map of wherever you are. Um, and then another one worth noting is uh, PG Admin. That's a really nice freely available uh, program for doing this kind of thing. What you just described there is you can push some data into the database there and you can see it. And for me, that that's like the the hello world in, in programming. You know, that that's your first interaction. That's when you get to see the data. Yes, it's actually in there. I've done something. And especially if you're using QGIS as an example, you know, just being able to react with, interact with it in that way, I think is a really important way of, of just getting going. Uh, QGIS actually started its life as a viewer for PostGIS tables. That was the original use case. Oh, that's really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, they they were built sort of in parallel alongside. I think I think before PostGIS even came out with a version one, there was a QGIS. QGIS's first uh, first commit pretty much was a, a connect to PostGIS. That's really interesting. I I had no clue that that was the case. I've just just got a couple more questions for you, but before we say goodbye, and and one of them is we, we talked a little bit about this this geospatial stack. Perhaps you could describe that for us, what a stack might look like in, in very simple terms, and how a uh, Postgres database might fit into that stack, just so people have an understanding of what what this looks like in, in the real world. Yeah, sure. So I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess I personally use the term geospatial stack pretty loosely, like it could just be, you know, whatever array of uh, software that you use and, and connect to each other. But you could have a, you know, a really um, basic, so, so I mean, you know, the most basic stack with PostGIS in mind is, you know, you've got your PostGIS database and your QGIS uh, desktop and they're connected to each other. And there's your there's your stack right there. But also um, you could insert in, in between them, um, you could insert GeoServer or MapServer, which are two very nice open source uh, geospatial server packages. They can take the data from the database and expose it through services so you can actually uh, consume them. And that means you can use it in QGIS or you could use it in a web application or you could use it in, in any number of things. And that's um, so that that's another, another part that might fit in the middle. I don't know. What else could you have? I mean, you, you could actually have some kind of a web application that sits out in front of it, like something that uh, works in a browser built with uh, leaflet or open layers or Mapbox um, that connects to a GeoServer or even directly to your PostGIS instance, perhaps. And that can run sort of within your your organization or publicly on the web and publish your data. I guess for me, the bottom line is there are many, many configurations and variations on what you can do. And it's sort of gets down to what are you, you, know, what are you actually trying to do and who are you trying to reach? Uh, who's going to be editing? There's so many variables here, but there's a lot of flexibility in the in the stack. 
And I guess that's exactly what, what I was hoping that you'd say is that it's very flexible and you could start with something very simple. So you can have your QGIS that connects to PostGIS that can then have something like a, a geo server, for example, connecting to that. And then we can send that data out into the world, expose it through various web services, VFS services, VMS mm-hmm. services, and that could be consumed by web clients. So already, and, and this the, the magic of all this, for me at least, is that, that this is all freely available. I could download this tomorrow and get started and mm-hmm. I think this is uh, getting started with something like this is really important for people that are looking to to build a career in the de- in the geospatial industry because yeah. it exposes you to so many different steps in the process how does data actually get into the world and, yeah. and I think that this is this is really important so if people have or are willing to spend the time and effort I think the rewards are definitely there and it can be completely overwhelming but um, I think I think you basically just start somewhere and um and keep going. And uh, after a while, it's not so overwhelming anymore. Again, I think, you know, there's that initial inertia that you have to get going and you'll run into problems and you'll solve them and you'll learn and you'll get better and you'll have new problems and you'll solve those. Uh, But hopefully, you know, you'll see a progression there. But what can people do if they get stuck? Where, Where can they go? Is there any communities they can join? Are there places they can ask questions? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing is open source is all about community. So yes, there are many, many places. I mean, the if, if you're Googling your problem, you know, one of the places that you're going to come up with first is uh, the GIS Stack Exchange. Um, but there are also, you can also, there's a, the Spatial Community Slack has a lot of specialized channels uh, that, you know, focus on things like PostGIS or GeoServer or QGIS. Uh, I, I think, you know, in my experience, uh, attending FOS4G events was a, a real... Uh, it was an icebreaker for me. It, it really helped me sort of get past that being overwhelmed stage uh, just by talking to people and sort of sharing their enthusiasm for for all this stuff. Um, so there are, there's the international FOS4G, um, and there's also a whole series of regional FOS4Gs. Hopefully there's one that's near anybody who's interested in going to them. And also, you know, local meetup groups. Just get together with the people uh, in your community and make friends. And I, I just feel like, Sharing enthusiasm is absolutely one of the best ways to to get over that hump. I completely agree. And on that note, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time for sharing your enthusiasm about this topic. I really appreciate it. I hope that we've managed to help some people out there that are perhaps considering getting into using a relational database. But just before I let you go, where can we go if someone has any questions or want to reach out to you personally? Where can they go to, to do that? Uh, well, I'm on uh, Twitter. My handle is uh, Mammoth Mapping. Um, I've got a, a small geospatial company called Mammoth Geospatial. You can Google it and find me there. Yeah, and I mean, uh, in Oceania, I'm, I'm super involved with all the Phos4G and state-of-the-map stuff here. So I've got a really great community and love to talk to people in this community about uh, what's going on here as well. John, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Just a quick reminder, this podcast is sponsored by OpenCage Data. So if you have any geocoding needs, this is the place to go. It's a fantastic company, amazing service, and well worth checking out. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and a big thanks for everyone who tuned in again this week. Much appreciated. As always, you are more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. You'll find a few useful links in the show notes. Just click those, and you'll find me. I would love to hear feedback on the podcast. 
If you're looking for an easy way to support the podcast, I would really appreciate your reviews and ratings on iTunes. It makes a huge difference to, to the amount of people that see the podcast. And also, if you have a friend that you think might find this interesting, please share it with them. That would be much appreciated. Thanks very much. We'll talk again next week. Bye.